Hi, and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. My guest today is Selena Kupik, who started doing improv in college, which turned out to be the gateway drug to doing stand-up comedy, which she did for 15 years, most of that in New York City, arguably one of the best places in the world for comedy. But as she approached 40, it wasn't quite as much fun as it had been, and she started to wonder, is there anything here for me in comedy? Then the pandemic hit. But we'll get to that part in a little bit. Let's let Selena tell the story. Hi, Selena. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, Stephanie. It's so lovely to meet you. Thank you for having me. Great to meet you, too. So I understand that you are a comedian and a writer based in New York. Is that right? Yes, Yes, correct. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, I've been in New York since 2006, um, so a little over 15 years. And by day, I work in publishing. I was briefly a children's editor for Barnes & Noble Corporate, which was fascinating and so cool to see like how the layouts of the stores and what gets highlighted and all that kind of thing. And then I moved over to the more glamorous world of test preparation books. But, you know, it's a job. It pays the bills. I love the people I work with. I work for the Princeton Review. So it's you know, prepping for ACT, SAT, MCAT, LSAT, all that fun stuff. So not beach reads. And whenever I meet people and they're like, oh, you're an editor? Okay, I have an idea. And I'm like, I don't think you want to do my thing. But I've got an idea for some great questions for the I, tests. I, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, unless you want to write the SAT, trust me, I can't help you. Um, But we have thankfully been able to do some books that are a little more fun, that are just like general high school level chemistry preparation. And we can do a lot of visuals. Like it's a, it ends up being a very rewarding job. I've been at the company now since 2007 and I really love it. And they totally understand that a lot of New Yorkers have a bunch of different plate spinning. So I've been doing stand-up. I really moved to New York for publishing and stand-up. So I was doing stand-up for years and years and hustling around every night and kind of running at a breakneck pace. And and I had the energy for it for a long time. Yeah. And it was great. Yeah. And it was great fun. And and then I, in, in the pandemic, sort of moved away from that. But that was like my world for a while. So now I'm still in publishing and I really love it. And I'm glad to be in New York. But yeah, I've done a little bit of a shift in the past couple of years. Yeah. So remind me when you turned 40. I turned 40 April 2020. So, okay. <laughs> oh. so did you have any plans for your birthday before the world tilted? <laughs> I know. It's funny because January 2020, I had been, I was single and I had been thinking about, I just was like, I don't know if I'll ever have a wedding. I don't know if I ever want to have a wedding, even if I could. But I wanted to throw a big party. I love getting dressed up. I love wearing like sequins and like fancy stuff. And and so I was scheming up and my sister was going to pay for it. God bless her. I was scheming up to rent a room in a bar and ask all my friends to dress up. And we were going to do toasts and light roasts. I'm not <laughs> big into like heavy roasting, but, but yeah, I just thought toasts and light roasts and like past hors d'oeuvres and just to get all the people I love together, you know, and have kind of a big blowout and it would all be on me, really on my sister. Um, but yeah, that had been the plan. And then of course the world went sideways and, and right before the pandemic, like uh, right around that time I met a guy who 
then we got pretty serious. So yeah, when the lockdown happened and uh, and all plans just went out the window, of course. Right, right. Yeah, because at that point in time, New York was truly the epicenter of everything. You guys could hardly leave your rooms. Oh yeah, it was a terrifying time. My office switched to work from home on March 11th, which was a few days before everything Mm -hmm. shut down. So I feel lucky that my company was sort of like we had one case of COVID in the building. So they were like on the 10th, they were like, go home um, and bring your computers and all that stuff. And yeah, at the time I was living in a fourth floor walk up in Park Slope and to even go out and get your mail was very scary. It was and we didn't have a backyard. Like I would go on my fire escape to get fresh air. Like it just not that it's like a contest for who has it harder, but You know, my friends who had backyards, I was like, you guys, like, it's just a different experience if you literally don't have access to, I like went on our roof illegally because I was like, I need to be in fresh air, but I need to not be around people. And that's so hard to navigate right now. Yeah. We were really fortunate. We um, lived in a condo for almost 15 years where I lived in a condo for almost 15 years. My husband had moved in with me, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was like, wow, take it slow. (laughs) But we ended up buying a house in 2018, the end of 2018. And I tell you, when 2020 happened, we just couldn't have been and it felt any more grateful or fortunate to have just a little bit more space and a little yard. And yeah, it was... Remind me, yeah. where are you located? So I'm in Manchester, New Hampshire. Oh, so I'm yeah. About, oh, lovely. I'm an, an hour north of Boston. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Now, you spent a bunch of time in Boston, right? Well, yeah. I grew up in Weston, right outside the city. Oh. Yeah, oh, near like Wellesley, Waltham. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, right. yeah, and I think I've done stand-up in Manchester. Okay. It's a beautiful, yeah, like cool little downtown. Very yeah. neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I grew up in the suburbs of Boston and then and then lived in South Boston a few years after college, which I feel as you're legally required to do. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then so I was in Southie like around 04 to 06 and then moved to New York. But but yeah, I'm a Red Sox fan. My roots are all there, of course. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about stand-up. H- how does a gal from Weston get into stand-up and uproot herself and take herself to New York for that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I, in college I did improv and I feel like improv is such a good on-ramp to comedy and the tools of improv are so useful in any form. Just the ideas of like heightening and the game of the scene and like just all these sort of things that you learn and saying yes and, and all that jazz. So I did that in college. And then after college moved to Chicago to study that at Improv Olympic and Ended up in a pretty crippling depression when I was in Chicago. So moved back in with my parents and God bless. I think they knew I just needed a lot of TLC. I was in a bad space. And, but then started doing improv in Boston. And then this guy I knew was running a sort of funny Friday night show where everyone could get five minutes. And so I had some jokes, so I tried them. And in classic beginner's luck, like I crushed. It was the greatest set of my life. Like it went so well. But of course the audience, like I think the the audience knew it was my first time. So they were so nice. Like it's just, that's how they get you. Trap, like just a taste, just a taste for free. Exactly. Yeah. And and you're going to do great. And you're going to think that every show is going to go great. Oh, but then I was pretty hooked and Boston's such a great place to start in comedy. There's smart audiences. There's, you know, a lot of college kids who want to go out for cheap events. And it's a smaller market. So it's not like starting in New York or LA where like, 
You could be terrible and people who matter in your career could see you when you're terrible. It was great to start in Boston and I started mostly at the comedy studio in Harvard Square, which is like the greatest. And now it moved to Inman Square, I believe. But but it was such a wonderful place to sort of learn about it and and to see people who, you know, like Mike Kaplan and Aaron Judge and people who were like a little bit older than me and really were crushed. And then watch as a lot of people then would move to New York or LA. And so I was doing stand-up in Boston for about two years. And, and I think that I thought I was like hustling and making it happen, but I was performing like once a month, which like, if you're serious about it, what do you do? You got to be up every single night. You have to. So then, and I'm a big believer in the universe, pushing you in different directions and telling you when things are for you and are not for you. And me too. Yeah. And which is why I had to leave Chicago. Like the universe was like, this is not for you. I know. I was like, I'm picking up what you're putting down and I'm going to go live in my childhood bedroom. But then, yeah, in Boston, it was sort of this funny uh, confluence of events where I got laid off from a job and I felt like I was spinning my wheels with stand up. And so then my good friend, Anathea, who I adore, she was like, what about going to New York? And and I don't know if I would have had the guts. So then my uncle Jimmy was like, hey, you could live in my apartment for the first year or two while you get your feet under you, which I was just like, wow. And then I found a job in publishing very easily. Like everything just was so easy. And this is where you're supposed to be. You're on the path. So and then the New York comedy scene is like, whew, that one. It took me a while to really plug in. And to understand, okay, you got to be out every single night and do a mic and then do a show and like just the level of hustle and learning the community and learning who books what and what shows a good hang and what mic is actually worth doing and what mic's a waste of your time so don't go and all that stuff. It's such a fa- it's like such a kind of masterclass in comedy in New York is the spot like it it was so neat like to be able to if this one mic was too bad okay there's another one over here or like I took sketch writing and storytelling at UCB and UCB was such a great place to meet other people and I made so many great friends and at night UCB closes down but then they have a secret dance party that was like it was just such a cool fun world sorry upright citizens brigade exactly yeah and there's so many great theaters in New York there's the people's improv theater for the pit Uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade, there was the Magnet for a little while. So all these just great spaces, good hangs. A lot of them have a bar so you can make other friends. And like, it was just such a great community. And once it's just, it's like the whole sort of 10,000 hours thing. Like you're just doing it enough and enough times and you have enough situations that you get to the point where you're sort of unflappable on stage because you've had hell gigs. You've been heckled before. You've had great gigs. You've had to dig yourself out of a hole and you know that this joke might kind of lose the audience, but this joke will get them back. And like mm-hmm. all that stuff that you only learn by doing. And so I feel very lucky that I was able to sort of grind it out and learn all this. Wow. And so you did that, you said, for about 10 years in New York? Um, yeah, I guess it was. Yeah, I I recorded an album and released it in, it was, it was December 2017 or December 2018. Okay. I think. Um, and and that was like 45 minutes. I'm so proud of it. It's called Seen Better Days and it's available wherever you get your albums. But yeah, after that, I I don't know what I don't know if it was like that I had this mental switch where it was like, okay, take a breath. Like, but yeah, I was grinding for a while. And then after my album, I was sort of still running around, but it stopped being fun. And 2019 was really when I was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And I just, I started sort of wondering if my nights were worth it, if I wanted to spend my nights. So many stand-ups are wonderful people and what a blessing to get to see them. Hey, at, oh, we're on the same show. Great, let's catch up. But then there are 
people who aren't so great and you're stuck in a basement hanging out with them. And so I think I just started to wonder like, is this for me anymore? And as I, at the time was approaching 40, uh, is there anything for me here in comedy? There's, I, I hate to say, but there's so much ages and, and, and for women in comedy, it's such a sort of uniquely difficult road to walk because it's just so different. I used to run a women's Facebook group for female based New York city comedians for people to be able to go to open mics together or walk to the subway together or wow. warn each other if a certain booker is really creepy or like wow. it's just such a different road for female stand-ups and and I just in 2019 I sort of was like I think maybe I'm ready to get off this ride maybe and was that I can only imagine or I'm projecting here was it terrifying to think I've invested all this time. I've learned all of this. I've put so much of my heart and soul into this. And now I'm meh. Like, oh, exactly. I think saying terrifying is such a good word for that. Because exactly, if I don't have stand-up, who am I? Like, right. this is my identity. This is everything I do after work. This is my community. These are all my friends nearly. And, and exactly, am I a failure if I push so hard for so long? And then I'm just going to sort of walk away. It was so intense to even think about. And and I remember noodling on when I was thinking about throwing a big 40th birthday. My birthday is April 25th. That was a Saturday in 2020. And I entertained the idea for a moment of what if I did one more album and I recorded it that night uh, and I had it as a birthday party. And then at the end of it, I was like, and I retire. You know, like, Super like, cool idea. <laughs> oh, I thought that could have been really neat. And then obviously everything went to shit in every respect. But but yeah, I sort of thought, because also there's so much money to be made in stand-up albums. I mean, it's which is very surprising. But because if it gets played on Sirius Satellite Radio, I used to get sweet, random, unexpected checks once a month. And it was, yeah, it was so cool. So part of me was like, I should do another album before I tap out. But... <laughs> Then part of me is, I don't think I even have that. So thankfully, right before the lockdown, I met this guy who is now my live-in boyfriend, and he's wonderful. And he was a musician for years and years and years in all types of bands. He plays keyboards, and he traveled around the country. Years ago, he stepped away from music. And it was such a blessing to have him as I stepped away from stand-up because he was like, Selena, I know it doesn't mean you're not good at it. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean that, oh, it didn't work out, so you took your ball and went home. I'm so proud of what I did. I released an album I'm so proud of. I wrote a book that I'm not as proud of, but it's out there. And I was like on the TV show Red Oaks on Amazon, which is like a fun little show. I did all these things that I'm so proud of. And deciding to go on a different, to turn uh, in, on down a different path, it doesn't undo all of that. I've done all this cool stuff and it's still there and it's still out there and I'm so proud of it. I have one uh, relevant experience. So, <laughs> but it goes way back further. So when I was in um, high school, I, I remember clearly sitting in my parents' house and knowing that when I grew up, I wanted to not only just write for newspapers, but I wanted to write for the Boston Globe. Right. Mm. My dad was a subscriber. We had it every day, you know. So and then I chose Northeastern because mm -hmm. by my sophomore year, I could be working at the Boston Globe. Yeah. Wow. So I co-opt at the Globe my entire way through through Northeastern. As a matter of fact, I went <laughs> it was a five year school. I mm. went six. Um, <laughs> so I did actually a whole extra year of co-oping 
And my last session at, at the Globe was something called the student reporter, where you were essentially a general assignment reporter in the newsroom. And most of your shifts, you were working two to 12 and it was, it was awful shifts. And it was, you're chasing ambulances and fire trucks. And I, it happened to be winter. It, and I, it, it turned out it was the most grueling thing I had ever done in my life. And at the end of my six months, I thought, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But here I was, right? So from the time I was 14 or 15 till, I don't know, I was probably 22 or 23 at the time, that that had been the the goal. And I knew that when I graduated, the Globe would say, okay, you've worked for us for four and a half years, but now go get some experience. Mm -hmm. And that meant at the time going to work at the Patriot Ledger for 16K a year. And it was like, I I just, I don't want to dig that hard when I've seen what this is. Yeah. And so I had to come to terms with, giving up a dream. Yeah, yeah. And 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 much the same as you. It was like, okay, it's not giving up a dream cuz I achieved it. I mm-hmm. did it. Yeah. It's deciding check yeah. check that box what's next. Mhm. What's oh, the completely. next dream? Yeah. Where, are, where are we headed next? Totally. That's a great way to think of it. Because when I think about it, I'm like, I did stand up for 15 years. It's like you only go to college for four or five or six years. <laughs> but there are there are benchmarks in our life during which you switch gears every four years or so. And that's very normal. And it's considered the pace that makes sense. So yeah, spending 15 years on the same thing. Yeah, it's very normal to be like, okay, cool. I think I want to take a left turn now. Hi, just a quick interruption to say, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Selena as much as I am. If you are, please join me on social media. The 40 Drinks podcast is on Instagram and Facebook as 40 Drinks, with the word 40 spelled out. I'd love to hear what you think about today's conversation and how you're relating to Selena's story. Okay, now back to Selena to hear how the pandemic was a gift from the universe and what kind of creative outlets she's working on now. About 2019, you were starting to get a little sort of feeling in your belly about it. So how did you finally come to leave, walk away? It was really because of the pandemic entirely, because stand-up just shut down. And it's so funny because I sometimes think, I'm like, what was my last time on stage? Like, and I, and I can't even remember. And I also, I almost don't want to. The memories that I have of stand-up that are the most precious are like recording my album and headlining. The Funny Bone used to have this great series called Chicks Are Funny, which like, huh, the name's not so great. But, you know, but it was so, it was great because I was able to go to different Funny Bones. Like I went to Syracuse, Rochester, like a few different ones and do 45 minutes to an hour and bring friends with me and they would open. I have such great memories of performing in a sketch show at UCB with my friends friends and we were in a trio and those are the memories I want to take not the last time which was probably in a basement in Long Island City but but yeah then stand-up closed down and I really was like you know what this is going to be a gift from the universe I shouldn't say the word gift because it's the pandemic what but but an opportunity from the universe to step away without having to do a lot of like uncomfortable explaining because stand-up closed down so entirely there were some zoom shows that started pretty immediately and i was asked to be on a few of them and i just said oh right now i just don't think i have the mental wherewithal to be doing stand-up as zoom and then people started doing park shows in the summer of 2020 and i was asked to do just one or two and i was like i think i'm just done and so it all it was a really 
good opportunity to step away from it without having to do a lot of kicking and screaming myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so has there been anything that's sort of like bubbled up to take the place of that interest or pursuit or the time? The time. Gosh, like <laughs> I've been because I still work in publishing nine to five, nine to six, really. Um, right. And I've been doing a lot more like reading for pleasure, which I love. And I used to memorize, you know, I would have all of my jokes inside my head at all times because you know, like you might want to op- use this opener, use this closer and then have different stuff in the middle. And like, you're always kind of flowing with that. So honestly, like, not having to have so much memorization go on is such a blessing. I love it. Also, my boyfriend and I moved in together in February of 2020. So it's just been lovely to, I spend my nights, he's a bartender, so the timing's a little tricky, but you know, three nights a week, we get to be just me and him together cooking dinner. And with moving into this apartment, I've done a lot of, I've gotten pretty into, I, I don't know if this sounds cliche, but like, I'm pretty into home decor now, <laughs> which like, <laughs> like, does that happen to every woman after 40? You're going to be very into picking paint colors. <laughs> oh, so you're nesting. Yes. Oh, majorly. Oh my Feathering God. all the edges of the nest. <laughs> exactly. I'm like so into it. I love it. And it's, and it's nice too, because my old apartment, I lived there for 13 years, which is sort of unheard of in New York, but it was such a great place. But there were deals to be had during the pandemic. So we moved in together and it's been fun to just have a kind of a clean palette here of like, okay, let's paint an accent wall. Let's buy some furniture. Let's get some plants looking nice. So I've been doing that and I still do have some creative outlets. It's just, it's funny too, because it's also been an exercise in reminding myself performing is a creative outlet, but so is I have a parody Twitter and Instagram account called NYT Vows, where I pretend to be the New York Times wedding section. And it's just really silly. And it's just one liner jokes. So I'm still doing that. And I have a really silly podcast called Two Wick Minimum. It's about candles. <laughs> it's like the dumbest, greatest podcast. When I was looking you up, it was called America's Favorite and only podcast about <laughs> candles. Yes. Yep. That cracks me up. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, I know. Exactly. What's too bad, though, there are some some candle brands have started podcasts since I started Two Wick Minimum. And, but mine is the only one that's just straight up about candles. I'm not trying to be about anything else. Like, I've seen some candle brands, and they'll, they'll be more about cultural stuff and what's going on, and not just candles, like uh, fashion trends and whatever. And I'm like, nah, nah, nah. Mine is pure as the driven snow. We just talk about candles. That's it. I have one guest per episode, and it is hot candle convo. Um, and that's been keeping me, it's just nice to feel like, yeah, that's been really helpful too in feeling like productive and arranging, booking guests and talking to people and having laughs. So I'm still creating. It's just that you create in all yeah. different ways. Yeah, for sure. And not for nothing, but home decor is creative. Yes, exactly. I mean, Thank you. Yeah. Just- it's all kinds of decisions and things to do in that in that whole process. Totally, yeah. And I, it's so much fun. And even like cooking, I real, I never, I didn't used to as much, and now I do. And it, it's really satisfying. It is creative. Yeah, it reminds me of Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic. Do you know that book? Mm-hmm. It's so, oh, I love it so much. I feel like you and I are kindred spirits. Yeah, um, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I love how yeah she just talks about there's unlimited ways to be creative, and mm-hmm. it's not just write a successful book or don't. It's every single day you can do something. 
I love it whenever I mention Big Magic. I love it when people are familiar with it because it's <laughs> such a remarkable book. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. And such an easy read too. The first time I went through it, I kind of read it and I was like, wait, is that? Mm. And then, because it's almost so like light and frothy that you're yes. like, oh, come on, shouldn't there be more? Shouldn't it be oh, heavier? Yeah. And then like, wait a minute. And then it kind of, like, it, it comes around, it settles on you. And then you like kind of go back and like, wait, what? Oh, so yeah, it's, it, it, uh, that one surprised me. Yeah, yeah. And it's neat. Then it'll kind of pop up in life. Like, I love when she talks about that she had an idea for a, a book that's in Brazil. It's about building this street, a highway and blah, blah. And then that someone else had that exact one. I think about that a lot in stand-up. There, sometimes people will accuse people of like jokes of stealing or whatever. And it's the reality is parallel thought is super normal and it's not yeah. nefarious and it's not suspicious. And we're all swimming in the same like cultural references. So yeah, you might come up with the same idea as someone else. And that's totally cool and benign and no one's doing anything bad. But I, right. I don't know. I think about that in particular from that book a lot. And you see that too in like movies. It's like, wait, there's a mm-hmm. an old illusionist, you know, magician movie. Yeah. Well, nope, there's two of them in a year. Always, like, always, always yeah, two of yeah. everything. Yeah, it's like an <laughs> alien who's also a clown. There's two of them. Like every time, <laughs> every movie, it's always two of the exact same thing. And maybe it's because someone's shopping around a script. Right. Some house says no. And then they're like, oh, wait, they're doing it. We should do it too. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like the pace of your life has changed quite a bit. Yes. Tell me about how you feel about that. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I agree. I've definitely slowed down. And and it's funny because we all slowed down during the pandemic. But that coupled with turning 40, I feel very fortunate that I was ready to slow down and then stay at that pace because I have a lot of stand-up friends where they're like getting back in gear and going out at night again. And, and I just, I feel very fortunate that I still have my job. I've always had this job. And now I can just say what's enough in a day working my job and hanging out with my boyfriend and cooking dinner because stand-up is, it's a young man's game. I think back on how I used to work nine to six and then maybe go to the gym after work, get in a quick workout, then hop a shower, maybe do two shows, be home by like midnight or 1am, sleep, get up next day, 6am, do it all over again. And yeah, now I'm like, I just, I can't even imagine. I think we've all adjusted to the post like we can't get back to that rat race. And there's so many great articles about how people just don't want to be commuting and just all of the sort of hustle bustle that we all used to do really no longer works for most people. I feel that exact same way. And have really slowed down. And I love that in the evening, if my boyfriend's working, I'll just sit on the couch and read a book. And it feels great and appropriate. But I do wonder if 25-year-old Selena would be like, what up, nerd? I've noticed it, like my body changing in certain ways where I'm like, oh, wow. Like I used to be crazy about working out. Like in college, I was very compulsive about, I don't think I had disordered. Well, I think somewhat disordered eating and working out was like, I was crazy. I would do it so much. I would really beat the crap out of my body. And now I've just really slowed down. I don't work out the way I used to. And when I see that I'm not as toned as I used to be, I'm like, okay, it's fine. It's funny because I kept thinking, oh, that bully in my brain is going to come back and be like, let's get to the gym, Selena, come on. And the bully just hasn't, you know? I don't know. Wanna, Does it... <laughs> yeah. As soon as you said that, you like said like a magic word for me, the bully. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, there are um, two voices in my head, and there's the nice one and the mean one. And for a very, very, very long time, the mean one was very loud, and the nice Uh one was, was she even there? And it took a long time and a lot of work to get a little bit more balance and to train that bully to be less of a bully and more just a a guideline or a a guardrail kind of thing. It's interesting, though, because I so relate to a lot of what you're saying. I used to be, it wasn't stand-up, but for me, it was out in the business community and going to events and out for drinks and dinners and four nights a week during the event seasons. And and that was great because all my friends were out with me and it was social, it was professional, it was fantastic. And these days, well, I have been managing a chronic illness for about five years. And so that has, thank you, that has completely changed my life and my pace and what I can do. And so it's amazing to sort of have that mind shift of, Mm -hmm. sure, there are some days where I sort of look towards the window and think, oh, there are fun things happening out there. But for the most part, much like you, it's like, and my husband, we have our lovely little nest. We have dinner together. We Netflix and chill. Like <laughs> we are professional Netflix and chillers. It's magical because it's it's actually where I want to be yeah. most, right? Yeah. So it's, it's like, even those days that I am sort of wistful or yearning for the the energy of the sort of out there, I can just sort of like, have that wistfulness or that yearning and kind of like let it move on because I don't actually want to be out there anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, completely. And yeah, I think back to, I don't want to portray it as, oh, I found a boyfriend and everything changed because I think everyone should find happiness on their own with their own hobbies, with their own life, in their own heart. But yeah, some of that like running around at night, I do think was, I was seeking a partner. And so be like, oh, even if I'm exhausted, let me go, you know, to this one bar where cute guys hang out and okay. Just in case. Exactly. might be there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To me, also part of it dovetailed with understanding the concept of boundaries and just being like, if I'm burned out, but a friend invited me out for drinks, like I'm allowed to be like, you know what, tonight I really can't. And I think for a long time, I had no boundaries. If I got invited anywhere, I went. Even if I was exhausted, I was almost sick. It was a Friday night. All I want to do is go and be in sweatpants. But I really wouldn't let myself do that. I didn't really prioritize. What do I want? I could say no to this. Or I could say, you know what? I thought it would, on Monday when we made the plan, I thought it would work, but it's Friday. And, And so changing that and giving myself permission to just stay home or really prioritize my own like health and well-being has been a a game changer and just letting and sometimes I'll see on Instagram oh all my old comedy pals or they're all at the knitting factory tonight and I will sometimes have moments of hmm I miss that but also like I can't even think about putting on pants and riding the G train right now like I think it's okay yes and it's interesting because it sounds to me just from the story you're telling that some of these things started to shift for you around 2019. You started feeling like stand-up wasn't fitting and what what else? And like that stuff in your belly and in your heart, mm-hmm. that's, it's just, it's messy because you don't even know what it is, but you know, whatever you're doing isn't working, right? So yeah. you sounds like you worked through some of that and and then the he showed up when mm-hmm. you were ready for him, yeah. right? Because it is very much the same for me, just out at all the bars and meeting all the guys and chasing, chasing, running, running, running. And it wasn't until I sort of had, was shifting a lot of things inside myself mm-hmm. and sort of becoming more grounded and more confident in myself and not looking for that validation from the external source that the perfect match showed up. 
Oh yeah. Very like when the student's ready, the teacher will come. And yeah. and it, it makes me laugh too, because like I did probably every app you could do. Like I was on like Tinder, Match, all that stuff. And my favorite bar in all of New York is this bar called Shade Bar that's in Greenwich Village. And I used to be a tour guide in addition to working in publishing. And yeah, which I'm like, I don't know how I had the time, but after mm. my tour guide ships, I'd always end up at Shade and I would count my tips and relax and have dinner and a glass of wine. And so I've been going to Shade Bar for about, it was the first bar I went to when I moved to New York. And it's just so funny because I was in there one night and I always thought, well, I have to be out on the apps. I have to go meet guys. And the guy who is now my live-in boyfriend, he happened to come into Shade Bar. Like, I just felt like, God, I spent my whole life going on dates with all these dudes. And then I'm just hanging out at my favorite bar where I was convinced it's just my favorite bar. I wouldn't meet a guy here. And he shows up there and now we're together. So we we are definitely kindred spirits because that's exactly how Patrick and I met too. Oh my gosh. I love to say we met the old fashioned way in a bar. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's my favorite thing to say. I know yeah. I'm like half blacked out in a bar. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah, crazy town. And it's funny too, because that question you asked about 25-year-old Selena, because I know 25-year-old Stephanie would think that, man, was I lame. Mm. And you know what? <laughs> She's a silly little girl who doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you keep going, 25-year-old Stephanie. You keep yeah. playing and doing all the things you want to do. But this yeah. Stephanie is going home to her man. Yeah. And we are just going to be happy and content and yeah. in love and quiet. And yeah. it's okay. Totally, totally. I think it's such a normal flow of getting older. And I think your 20s, I felt like I was sort of frantic and always running around. 30s, I did slow down. I just felt like I gained more self-confidence and self-satisfaction. But 40, it just feels, okay, I know who I am and I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't care if you think it's cool. Right, right. So it's interesting because that's sort of a common theme among some books I've read and, and a bunch of the people I've talked to that mm -hmm. sort of coming into really being confident about your own opinion and your own judgments and your own authority and mm -hmm. not looking for all of that external validation and external decision making based on what some, you know, other person or authority said you should. Mm -hmm. And so coming into your 40s now, it's, oh, no, I'm this this actually feels good for me. So this is what I'm going to do. And I don't care what you think. Yeah, <laughs> completely. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So you've got family in, in Massachusetts, I'm sure friends in, in Massachusetts and other parts of the world. Is it different to be a 40-something woman in New York than it is out here in the hinterlands? Oh, I think so. I've always known I didn't want to have children. My whole life I've known that. And in New York, I have a million friends in their 40s and late 30s who are single and don't have kids. And no one thinks it's strange. I don't mean to generalize anywhere, but I do think that out in the suburbs of the country, it might be a little bit harder of a road to hoe if you are single at 40 or don't have children or don't whether or not you want them. Right. That's such a hard path. But yeah, I feel New York is a very, it's an expensive city. It's a difficult city. Just the other day I was riding the subway and they had to take it out of service because there was like just human feces on the door, which is like the fourth time I've encountered human feces on the subway since I moved here. <laughs> but there are many things that make New York somewhat of a nightmare, but it also is a magical place where I just love all the cool characters. There are these two women who I think are in their 60s or 70s. They have this cool Instagram account and they're really into fashion and they're at all the events and they're best friends and they go out for drinks and 
just there's so many people of all different ages leading all different types of lives. And those sort of traditional societal standards don't apply quite as much, which I really do appreciate that as someone who always felt like I was going to be on a little bit of a different path between stand up and also getting married. It's not a really priority to me. Like I always wanted a partner, but I didn't really care about calling it marriage or whatever, especially before marriage equality was happening. I was like, I'm not joining a club that wouldn't have my friends as members. But I think it's, it's just nice to know, like, there's no, no one kind of on my shoulder being like, when are you guys getting married? Or it's, I'm just sort of living in the city where there's a lot of people living a whole bunch of different types of lives and everyone's just they love how it's sort of like live and let live very much that's amazing and so i'm guessing that new york is home for you now for the long haul feels like i I think so it's funny like the pandemic made me think about that too because in theory if you have a job that you could telecommute from anywhere where would you be? Palm Springs, California is like one of my favorite places in the world. It's just so cool. But my boyfriend's a bartender. So he kind of needs to be in a place where there's a lot of good nightlife. So yeah, I do think New York is our spot. We both love it so much. He's been here for a long time too. And we have a lot of friends still, despite disconnecting from stand-up, I do have some friends and professional contacts and connections and people that I used to work with who are my buddies still. So yeah, I do feel like New York is home. That's amazing. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I so appreciate you taking some time to spend with me today. I have yes. really enjoyed our talk. Me too. Thank you so much, Stephanie. This is it's such a wonderful podcast topic, and I can't wait to listen to a bunch of the episodes. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, please subscribe wherever you listen and share this podcast with your friends. And if you've got a great story about turning 40, I want to hear it. Go to 40drinks.com slash guest to tell me your 40 story. Next week, join me for a story of complete professional reinvention with Dr. Gigi Johnson.